Hello and welcome to the History Respond podcast. I'm your host this week, John Harney. I'm joined by our usual host, Bob. Bob, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I tell you, it's a, Bob, it's a bit odd. I've been so used to your masterful hosting. Suddenly the pressure is increasing. That's right. The ball's in your court, as they say. <laughs> well, as the listeners will know, we really like doing these discussion casts and we're going to talk some civilization and challengers to the... I never thought of the civilization throne as something that could be challenged before, but apparently it's going to happen. Um, yeah, but you come at the king, you best not miss. Uh, I'm telling you. I'm, we're, let's, see, let's see how these guys do. But before we get to that, let's do a little bit of what you've been playing. Bob, have you been playing anything interesting and of historical note? I have, yes. I was fortunate enough to get a review copy of Assassin's Creed Discovery Tour Mode Ancient Greece. This is the new, uh, what you might call edutainment uh, version of uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, uh, the new Discovery Tour Mode. And uh, I've been playing that for about, I guess, about six hours now. I've made my way through a good portion of the new tours, and I'm planning on doing a live stream uh, tomorrow morning uh, with Kate Cook, who is the classicist who joined us on the regular HR episode on Assassin's Creed Odyssey. So we are going to go through Discovery Tour mode together, and I'm I'm really excited about it. That's fantastic, and we better better get this right now for listeners who want to hear. This is going to be posted on Thursday night, the 12th of September. So it's Friday morning, the 13th of September. Did you say 10 Eastern? Is that right? 10 Eastern. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then if you're in the UK or in, you know, most of Europe, it'll be there in the afternoon, uh, 3 p.m., 4 p.m., depending on where you are. Uh, And then the archive of that live stream will be posted to our regular YouTube channel. And then I'll probably even, you know, extract the audio and put that into a podcast. We're trying to make the most (laughs) <laughs> of all of our uh, all of our content here at History Respawn since it's so infrequent. Yeah, you get a guest to agree to like a multi-hour stream. It's like, well, here's all the many ways I plan to exploit you. <laughs> here's all the ways I can cut up the sausage. Now <laughs> so now you got, uh, you said you got a review copy of Discovery Tour. So basically you got it, got it in advance because it is something, this is tied to Odyssey, right? And I'm, am I right in assuming that Odyssey owners will just get it? Or have I erred there? Okay. That's correct. If you own Odyssey for PC or for console, you get it as a free update. All right. So you've already got it. Uh, And it is a substantial update. I think it's – well, the standalone copy on PC is 50 gigs. Wow. Uh, So, you know, it's basically the game uh, over again. Uh, So I think, though, if you've got the base game – much of that material is already in there and you know but it could be the case that your uh, download of Assassin's Creed Odyssey is about to get a lot bigger wow and yeah. i was reading about this cuz it's interesting cuz you played origins bob i never did um and people have been people who haven't had a chance to do yet what what you're now doing what you're going to record tomorrow they've been encouraged by it as in they feel it's kind of offering a bit more than the Origins kind of version of this did although maybe it's a little bit charitable Origins didn't exactly do this but Origins did some came in this direction, right? Yes. But this new one, right. this is a big step past that, isn't it? Yes, I think so. And, you know, my short review of this is that this version of Discovery Tour, uh, Discovery Tour Ancient Greece, is a major improvement on Discovery Tour Ancient Egypt. Um, in particular, 
the delivery of the content is much more uh, natural uh, and much better presented. And it's also, interestingly, uh, more personable. Uh, so in particular, in the discovery tour mode for Origins, uh, focused on ancient Greece, you were presented the tours uh, via a godlike narrator voice just suddenly coming on uh, whenever you move to a tour marker. But in this discovery tour mode for ancient Greece, uh, you approach a major historical figure uh, who acts as a tour guide and introduces you to the tour, and then you go through uh, the different stations of that tour. Usually there's between five and 10 stations per tour, uh, and then you have the narrator's voice. But it's a good way to introduce the content because you're going up to, uh, say, Herodotus, or you're going up to people like Pericles, uh, and you know, kind of talking to them before you get into the actual tour. And what's funny is you can ask these historical figures questions about themselves or about the location uh, or the tour that you're about to go on. And so it makes it feel as though you are visiting a museum with historical reenactors. And I don't know what your feeling is about historical reenactors. I always felt they were a little bit creepy, but <laughs> for whatever reason, it really works well for this discovery tour. Yeah, historical reenactors are an interesting one. I was Another interest I have is uh, woodworking. And there's no woodworking podcast from me coming soon. But I was reading a book the other day, and this guy was demonstrating how to just rip a sawboard down the length. Ripping is cutting lengthwise. And he's like, and this is how I do it when I dress as an 18th century figure and such and such on the weekends. Like, why <laughs> Why would you do that? And why would you share it with me that you do that <laughs> with all these people? But, you know, it's amazing how many people I meet who will say to me things like, oh, you know, if I feel I can, like, touch something in history, like touch an artifact, or if I feel I can, like, see the people kind of act it out, that, that that really helps me get it. I just didn't get it. Yes. Um, you know, it just wasn't for me because – not because they don't like reading, but just because the act of reading the stuff – my theory is always the stuff that they were given to read must be crucial here. But anyway, the, the, the act of reading the stuff just puts them off. Yeah. So, so there are lots of people out there who, who are into it. Yeah, in I think so. And I, I think it helps – Discovery tour mode. And, you know, like I said last time in my criticism, uh, when we talked about uh, Discovery Tour Ancient Egypt on the podcast, you know, I said that the game didn't or Discovery Tour, that mode didn't make use of the game. And in a major way, I meant making use of the NPCs that are already there, right? You could have them basically being historical reenactors acting out what tour is talking about. And this goes quite a ways towards that step. So, Maybe somebody at Ubisoft was listening to our podcast. Who knows? But uh, it definitely gets over that major hurdle uh, for me, and it makes it more personable, and it makes use of the game. You know, I mean, it just struck me as crazy for the first Discovery Tour. They had all these NPCs and didn't really make use of them, but this this version of Discovery Tour goes a long way toward making use of the game in order to portray the history in a more compelling way. And uh, I should say that the Discovery Tour, in addition to making use of the game, it also is a bit more gamified in its presentation. So what I mean by that is that uh, with Discovery Tour, uh, while you are completing the tours, why you, while you are uh, coming across what are called Discovery Sites, uh, these kind of smaller mini tours, uh, you are also collecting uh, cosmetics and mounts uh, for your in-Discovery Tour uh, experience. So... As you do tours, as you complete discovery sites, uh, you're gathering tokens to then get uh, a different uh, cosmetic for your 
uh, in-game avatar. So you start out with Alexios and uh, um, uh, Cassandra. Uh, but then, it, you know, as you complete tours, you can change the look of your character to, say, like a, a soldier or a child. Or you could become um, Socrates or any of the major fictional characters uh, from the game itself. Uh, and in addition, the tour feels much more guided. Um, you know, I think last time I talked about with the ancient Egypt discovery tour, how you could kind of just jump around to any topic that you wanted to, and there really wasn't any kind of order to go in. But this discovery tour has a section called suggested tours. So if you start one tour, uh, say on the subject of domestic life in ancient Greece, it'll now uh, suggest a, another tour, which might be part of a different area or a different uh, section of history, but goes along thematically with the tour you just had. So uh, I feel like if you want to jump around, you can still do that. But if you want a more kind of guided museum experience, uh, that's also available as well. That's fascinating. Because I'm just kind of... Um thinking to myself it really sounds like something that like museum studies people got into do you know what i mean yes like it sounds yes. really interesting and i'm just i'm also kind of thinking to myself and wondering um you know assassin's creed has been good to history respond you know it's kind of given us a lot to go with and taking advantage of the game i don't think it was the first time but the first time that i noticed that they were willing to really go for it was when leonardo da vinci was such a major npc Yes. Was that two? Was I, I that, that was two. Yeah. yeah. And since then, yeah, like they've got them all there. Like they're not they're not into like deep cuts and well, they are in fairness, but they're not they're not shy of giving super obvious people like you know, um, you know Hippocrates. You know, like it's mm-hmm. kind of amazing. So mm-hmm. why why not? Yeah, why not stretch it out? And this must this must have been. I, I guess I I don't know enough about the development side. This seems like this was a fairly this was a non trivial investment on their part. Well, I think so. Certainly, yeah. Uh, I remember from the first Discovery Tour, it had said something like it took four years for them to make that version of Discovery Tour for the for Origins. Now, I don't know how much of that involved work that they just did on NPCs and environments for the game that they also kind of copied and pasted over to Discovery Tour. But I could believe that. I could believe it takes at least three years to pull something like this off. And it'd be, you know, it involves a substantial financial investment uh, as well, if not necessarily in terms of, you know, producing a new game engine, but in terms of manpower, uh, in terms of designer hours. Um, And I think that that work has really paid off. Now, with that said, I mean, I think there are some caveats to this. Um, For instance, I think some of the, Tours are a bit strange and don't necessarily make the best use of the game or NPCs. So, for instance, I looked at several of the tours related to major battles in ancient Greece, uh, the Battle of Marathon uh, and the Battle of Thermopylae in particular. And for those battles, they don't actually use NPCs. Instead, they portray the battles uh, with uh, flags uh, as stand-ins for soldiers. Uh, so when somebody dies, the flag just falls over. Um, so that's a bit awkward. And I would imagine, I, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine they did that because they didn't want to show graphic violence uh, in, uh, you know, something that could be you know shown to shown to kids, shown to children, et cetera. 
Um, but at the same time, I feel like they could have done something with the NPCs short of showing, you know, the random uh, bloodlust that you usually get from an Assassin's Creed game. And then in addition, I, you know, just kind of in a very broad sense, I kind of wonder, could you use this in a classroom setting? Um, you know, again, kind of the old technical problems, uh, the expenses involved in, you know, having a game like Assassin's Creed on a PC that can run it or on a console. I mean, those are significant hurdles to most classrooms, uh, even college classrooms. So I would say that this Discovery Tour mode is definitely a big improvement. The history in it is much more elaborate, much more detailed. Um, but I also kind of wonder, who is this for? Right. Right. I don't know. I, what I, I've, I have noticed that the kind of the, the video game critic circles are really interested in it. Mm-hmm. But then it's always hard to know because, of course, those writers have a lot of influence because that's, that's how media works. Um, but it's hard to know if that translates. I mean, I look at things like Where the Water Tastes Like Wine, that game that came out last year, and that, you know, there were some interesting stories on that, how it just kind of, he just didn't hit it off commercially at all. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my bias as a massive nerd, I was like, how didn't people buy that game? You know, <laughs> <laughs> it looks so interesting and, and it was getting lots of positive buzz. So, yeah, but how do you even measure the success of something that kind of is effectively a free add-on to an existing mammoth game? Yeah. I don't I, know. I don't know. And, it, I mean, there is a standalone $20 version that's available, and that's the copy that I got from Ubisoft. And I did that primarily because I wanted to stream from my PC, and the, the version of the regular game that I have is a PS4 version. Um, so that's why I got a review copy. But... Uh, still, I mean, you think about that $20 and you think about what else that could be used for, uh, say, in a classroom setting. And I don't know if they they offer this for, um, you know, bulk academic purchases. You know, sometimes that happens with edutainment titles where, you know, they get the game copy. At a, it's extremely discounted or sometimes even gratis. But I think that, you know, taking that $20 thinking about the type of machines that would have to be bought to run it. I mean, that is a significant investment. Um, now, of course, you could you could play the game on low settings. I've got a 1650 graphics card, so kind of mid-tier graphics card, and uh, I bump things down to medium, and I kind of also cap the frame rate just so it runs smoothly. Uh, but even still, you know, my PC is several hundred dollars and, you know, the thought of having more than one of those PCs in a classroom setting uh, at the educational level, that I think Discovery Tour is at. I mean, that's that's a lot of money. Um, you know, maybe I'm off base. I don't know. But it, it does seem to beg the question, you know, again, you know, who's going to use this? Who's going to buy it? Did they does Ubisoft make enough money off this to make it worthwhile for them? It's also hard when I think of it. I can quickly imagine using it. I can imagine using it too, Bob. But then you and I are coming from this very niche angle of how do we, niche. yeah, how yeah. do we tell history? And you know, I want our students to think about it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Whereas, like my colleague in the classics program wouldn't automatically go to this; she'd go to something else. And then, of course, not only are you and I niche, but kind of the whole part of the mission of History Respond argues that you actually don't need a Discovery Tour version of the games. You can just talk about the games or talk about the the actual <laughs> impact of the games Yep. without wanting to sound ungrateful because it sounds awesome and I, I look forward to doing it. I mean, it, it does sound great. And I don't know, who knows? 
Yeah, so I, I'm perhaps. looking forward to that stream. People should definitely tune in. And if you're hearing this after it went online, you'll see it on YouTube. Um, I'm trying to find some time to play a slightly different kind of a game. I do this. I don't know if you do this, Bob, especially with Steam. I do lots of reinstalling of games that may or may not actually get played. It's mm-hmm. kind of a, an assuaging of my guilt uh, for not playing them. <laughs> they sit there I, for months. To, yeah, in order to make room for Discovery Tour, I had to delete The Witcher 3. Um, yeah, which is, I think, 60 gigs on my machine. And yeah. uh, it's a game that I've downloaded and deleted, I'd say, at least four or five times now. <laughs> the Witcher 3 is such a good example. I, I played it years ago, but I recently got the DLC and I just can't bring my... I never actually play it and I can't bring myself to uninstall it. Uh, but I, I reinstalled Endless Legend because I got all hyped up by uh, Humankind, Amplitude's forthcoming game. That we'll talk mm-hmm. about in just a minute. So we'll talk about humankind in a minute. And humankind is, although they're being very careful to point out they really like, you know, uh, Firaxis and Civ, because who who needs to start being mean about it? They're they're doing something really interesting, which is they're going a civilization quite directly, more directly, I'd argue, than other games have. Uh, but I reinstalled Endless Legend, which is kind of the kind of the closest analog they have to a civilization type game. And for mm-hmm. people who don't know, Amplitude, I I love Amplitude. I think they're a fantastic studio. I have yet to play a game by them I haven't enjoyed. A lot of their games have the word Endless in the title. So there's Endless Space 1 and 2, Endless Legend, Dungeon of the Endless. Um, it goes on like this. But uh, they tend to have a, a kind of an in-house art style they like to go for, although they do kind of change it up a little bit, um, kind of angular kind of art Um and Endless Legend is a really interesting game because it's a 4X game, um, but it's... Uh, so it, it kind of looks like Civilization ostensibly or Civilization-type game, but the kind of the secret sauce in... or the initial secret sauce in Endless Legend, there's lots of secret sauces in it, actually, is that the faction you pick has a pretty enormous... Uh, like an enormous impact on the game you end up playing. Mm. So... For example, you know, in civilization, maybe you'll pick the Chinese or the Australians or whomever, and maybe the Chinese have a a bonus to basically civil service bureaucracy types of things or something. And the United States will have, in one of the civilization games, I think it was three or four, if you got as far as aircraft carriers, the U.S. suddenly has this really nice bonus to aircraft carriers. Yeah. Um, And in this legend, you can, the the group that I've often picked, uh, they can only have one city. They cannot hmm. found cities. And so you have to kind of work off that. Um, there's day-night cycles. There's different kinds of, uh, you know, topography to deal with. Whereas in the civilization games, you have these barbarians who civilization's done a better job of kind of giving them, making them more interesting. Uh, in the Endless Legend game, you could basically turn them into kind of like little factions that were, you know, sub-factions of you and kind of turn them into other people and all these kinds of interesting things. It makes it not as accessible as civilization and therefore... I would argue not as successful and you have idiots like me who come along and pick the stupidest faction possible for the first playthrough which is the guys who can only have one city because I'm so intrigued by the newness of it but that's what they kind of did before and uh, and I'm looking forward to it and I think I might finally try and do the obvious thing the thing I should have done in the first place which is play a more I guess vanilla faction I don't know I don't. Know, I guess that would be an appropriate term more something a bit closer to a Civ type experience mm. and work my way up as opposed to jumping in the deep end like I did with their more adventurous faction ideas mm-hmm. so is this new humankind game I mean from what you've read about it so far is this designed to kind of ape the style of civilization or is it kind of a follow up 
more to things like Endless Legend. Well, my impression from what the coverage I've been reading, and even from the trailer they put out, it does seem to me to be a little bit of a departure away from their usual style. And it's not an Endless Legend alike. It really feels like something where they're they're trying to make... This is the closest anyone's come to making a Civ alternative, I think, in a while. You know, you have things mm-hmm. like, um, you know, Age of Wonders and things like that. There's lots of games out there with over, like with maps and hexes you interact with, you know, which kind of feels like Civ. But um, no, I think they made a deliberate departure, even though they're talking about the way that cities will interact with the landscape and things like this. And I'm like, well, mm. that's exactly what the Civ 6 people were saying. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, so it's, and, and in fairness, I think Amplitude's going to do their own thing with it. But it's just, uh, I just found that really interesting that it's like, they're, they're almost talking like it is a Civ game, but except mm-hmm. that it's their game. You know, it's remarkable to me considering how successful and, you know, what a long lifespan civilization as a model has had. It's remarkable that fewer challengers haven't come along. And, yeah. you know, you could think yeah. of there's been a lot of uh, phone games that have actually tried to do this. Um, you know, of course, a lot of the major developers of uh, civilization games during the 1990s actually went in uh, to work on Facebook games and phone games. Um, you know, there's uh, Brian Reynolds uh, and uh, others who went in uh, and developed those games. So there's been kind of mobile game alternatives to Civ, but as far as like a AAA or even indie alternative to Civ, there hasn't been that many. And, you know, I can think of some of the challengers in the late 90s. You know, there was um, Civilization called a Power, uh-huh. uh, which yes. had some yes. uh, weird ideas. I think that was published by uh, Activision. I think there was some weird licensee thing going on with uh, Civilization, and they were licensing the original board game rather than uh, the version created by Sid Meier. Um, but uh, that game had a lot of interesting ideas about uh, unit movement and unit use and adaptability, uh, but it never really caught on. I enjoyed it, but you know, just as kind of a, a curio rather than <laughs> as a, a real pastime. And then there was, uh, you know, Brian Reynolds to bring him up again. Uh, he developed uh, an RTS game called Rise of Nations, which he designed yeah. specifically to be kind of a uh, a 45 minute version of a civilization game, right? Well, so a civilization right. game could last hours and hours and hours, days and days. Uh, but his rise of nations is kind of like RTS meets civilization. And you go through these periods of history, but in very quick step, right? You're not taking, uh, hours to get to one point or another. Um, and that game was successful, but it didn't have the kind of long life that civilizations had, or even other RTS games have had. So, I mean, I think there's definitely space for this kind of thing to happen, um, but I just wonder how it's going to be uh, compelling compared to the civilization model, which is so strong and so yeah. attractive. But I, I'd say even then, I mean, I'm sure you've got criticisms of the civilization series that you'd be interested to see, you know, kind yeah. of overcome perhaps in something like this. Yeah, we all do. I mean, I think it's it's interesting. Like, so what they're, you know, what they're trying to do, like you were talking about, by the way, Call to Power is still my favorite implementation of underwater cities. In a, in yes. A type oh, game. my God. <laughs> no. It's why, so why, good. Why, why haven't they had underwater cities in every Civ game since then? I don't I, understand. I don't know. I remember I, distinctly <sighs> feeling as though 
I was playing like a grand strategy version of that XCOM game, you know, uh, the where the aliens are underwater and you're in right. subs and stuff. And it has that same sort of feel to it. It's brilliant. I loved it. Yeah, it was so good. So, yeah, I don't know. So Amplitude are making a lot of sounds about, you know, so they talk about the terrain and the landscape and stuff and. And they talk about, oh, you spend a lot of time in Civ switching between screens. We want you to always be looking at the map. It's like, okay, that's that's interesting. I think they're pitching themselves as, you know, we love the series, you know. Um, we're kind of paying homage to it, and here's what we would do. And the interesting thing that I think it'll be interesting for us when it comes out is that at least the way they're talking about it right now is that the way that kind of culture slash civilizations work is that you will effectively... At the, what I've seen is almost like a card system where you'll be taking... Um, sections or or specific influences from a culture and fuse them into whatever your culture is and so effectively the typical player will form a hybrid culture mm. and and you know that 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 um i guess almost ideologically that is a big difference from civilization then mm-hmm. in the sense that um you're not picking the chinese or whatever not that I, I can't say I've ever really felt that too strongly playing a Civ game. I've never really felt like I'm the Egyptians after too long, you know. Um, but there's a this attempt that you would craft your own, I guess, civilization to coin it, which is part of the reason they're calling it humankind. Um, so I don't know. And I think it's it's like anything. It's like it's so venerable. That's the word. I think it, yeah. civilization might be the only video game series I could say that with a straight face about venerable. And you know, how even go near it. Um, at the same time, if they were to be successful, surely the series would benefit enormously from just new people. Because like for Axis, yeah. yeah, like and Fraxis could go, they could hire almost an entirely new team, but they, they have their own traditions and their own way of doing things that have served them really well. Like Civ Six is really good. So it's not there's nothing wrong with civilization, but I'm I'm excited. I really hope it works out. I really hope it's a good game. Yeah, I mean, you hope that it maybe has the same sort of influence on civilization that something like uh, Darksiders had on Zelda. Or, right, right. Um, oh, what's another good example? Torchlight on oh, yeah. the Diablo series. I mean, you know, there were some things uh, similar between those two kind of examples. But at the same time, there's definitely been some... Um, you know, kind of back and forth, uh, you know, and some uh, the major franchise, for instance, taking uh, some of the ideas, some of the concepts from uh, the up and comer from the challenger and adapting yeah. that to the series. Um, oh, I you, would say. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say NBA Live and 2K or oh, yeah. Madden, Madden and 2K games back at the yes. early 2000s. Big yes. time. Absolutely. Um, I would say that what I would be most interested in, I love this, what you said about. Uh, you know, kind of uh, rather than picking a static civilization, you're picking a group of people who kind of merge different, uh, you know, cultures and races together. That's more, you know, historical, at least uh, more interesting, too, I think. But I also think one of the things that I'd love to see happen to civilization is a shakeup with uh, victory conditions, because I feel like civilization, the game itself is so focused on what particular victory condition you're going for. And it almost determines, regardless of what sieve you've chosen, regardless of what you know geographical location you start at, uh, it determines how you play and how you think about the game. And I would feel it would be interesting to see a game come along that kind of got away from that 
what I feel like is kind of a funneled silo experience with civilization, you know, because it's, it's not so much about what Civ you're playing, but what victory condition you're aiming for. And I'd like to kind of get out of what I feel like is kind of turned into a, a straitjacket uh, for the civilization series. And I think straitjacket is the right term because I think they've been trying to get out of that for at least two mainline games, maybe three. Um, yeah. And they just, they kind of can't. And, and I wonder, I wonder if humankind can or can't either, because I think, I guess the temptation is to drift away from it completely. Like, I feel like when, when we talk about Civ and games like Civ, we often will bring up the Paradox games, like Europia and Rosalis and CK2. But I mean, those games actually are nothing like Civ, really. Yes. (laughs) I mean, they're, they're kind of, what's the word? Like, I was going to say in the same genre, but they're not at all in the same genre. I guess they have similar sensibilities or they would attract similar kinds of fans to a certain extent. But they're nothing alike, mm-hmm. um, and like you say, the 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 you know the door is wide open here. It's also interesting to me. I was reading a retrospective on the Dreamcast yesterday. We just passed the twentieth anniversary of the Sega Dreamcast in North America. R.I.P. Um, pour one out, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's interesting. I'd forgotten this. Of course, it's so long ago that the Dreamcast sold well initially, and the PS 2s the PlayStation Two's whole marketing campaign was. I'm sure you've enjoyed the Dreamcast. Don't worry. The real machine's coming in March 20, you know, 2000. <laughs> and it worked. And, yeah. and you know, because people kind of did believe that. And so yeah. Civilization Civilization 7 could be awful. I mean, I find it extremely doubtful that would actually happen. Civilization 7 could be awful and you wouldn't feel the effects. Well, you, you might feel the effects sale-wise, but it wouldn't become a catastrophe unless Civilization 8 was also awful. Yes. Um, and Amplitude is just... They they they're on much finer margins here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was never. Uh, there might have been. There might have been a call to power two, but there was definitely not a call to power three, right? So you get you kind of get one shot with these challenges, and yeah. you know it's it's rare that you get a sequel uh, to a challenger game. You know, it was almost surprising to me that there was a, a Torchlight two after Torchlight one. Um, so I'm I'm very curious to see how this works. I I'm definitely eager to play it as well. And do you know do you know when it comes out? They're saying 2020, but that's all okay. we know. So okay. there's no they've been asked about things like will you do early access, will you do betas and they're so far they've been very quiet about it. Okay. Um, but the trailer so the you, the trailer by the way is worth watching for people listening if you haven't seen it. It's it's a Cro-Magnon man rocking an organ uh, is the main kind of idea of the trailer. But um, it shows a little bit of – it gives you a sense of the look. And if, if, you uh-huh. just go, if you just Google search the game, all the articles discussing it have some screenshots to give you a sense of the look. So stylistically, yes, it's 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 not – they're staying in their wheelhouse-ish. You'll, it, it's interesting. It, it literally looks like Firaxis hired them to a Civ game for them so far. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is really interesting. So – so we'll see. Best of luck to them. In particular, you know, if that melding of cultures thing works, that I could see us talking about that a lot on, yeah. on the podcast and the episode. So, yeah. Well, uh, how about have you been playing anything not uh, historically minded, Bob? I have. Yeah, I have recently started playing Shadow Complex Remastered. I love that game. Uh, and this is a game that I got for free uh, by signing up for the Epic Store. Back in 2015, the original Seattle Complex came out in 2009, uh, and I missed it then. It was a XBLA game, Xbox Live uh-huh. game. I think it was like you know, 15 to 20 dollars, 
and I missed it in 2009. And uh, you know, I was going back and looking at what I played from that year because I've been really enjoying Shadow Complex, which for those of you who don't know is a uh, kind of a side-scrolling um, uh, Metroidvania, uh, which is based on kind of a, uh, a weird uh, kind of uh, – oh, who's the author's name? Famous science fiction author. Uh, Orson Scott Carr. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of his one of his stories. Um, but anyways, uh, Shadow Complex came out in two thousand nine. I've been loving it. I think it's a fantastic Metroidvania, fantastic side-scrolling game, uh, kind of in a real, realish, uh, uh, real-world setting. And I was like, gosh, you know, why didn't I play this back when it came out <laughs> in two thousand nine? And I went back and looked at some of the games that came out that year. And and here's the list. This is these are games, major releases that came out ten years ago. Uh, so we've got Uncharted Two, Modern Warfare Two, Batman Arkham Asylum, Dragon Age Origins, Assassin's Creed Two, Left for Dead Two, Borderlands, Halo ODST, and Demon Souls. Wow. So those were all games that I at least picked up, if not played. Outright that year, so I was I was busy. In addition to being in history graduate school, yeah, um, no kidding. I I was very busy, so I I never got around to Shadow Complex. But man, you know, for a ten year old game, and this is the remastered version I'm playing on PC. But for a ten year old game, it just has so many interesting ideas related to side scrolling adventures, related to Metroidvanias. and it makes me wonder why there aren't more games like this, and in particular. Why hasn't there been a Shadow Complex 2? Yeah, I, I'm delighted to hear it holds up. It, it was such a good game. Um, and, and it wasn't like, it wasn't as hard as Metroidvanias can get. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it was still yeah. accessible. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know, I don't know much about the developers behind it. And I was just thinking, I'm going to talk in a minute about the game I've been playing. I want to sit down and play a deep, involved, story-filled game for three hours. But it's like, you know, I say this all the time on the podcast. My wife and I will sit down and go, well, we can't watch a movie. We're too tired. And we'll watch like eight 30-minute episodes or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and, and I do the same thing with games where I end up playing like roguelikes for like two hours. Like, oh, I'm an idiot. I could have been playing, you know, Pillars of Eternity for this time. And sh- sh- I, um, I always got that from these kind of Metroidvania games as well. Pick them up, play them, feel good, go to bed, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I love it too. And, you know, this game I think is about seven hours long and I, I I would guess I'm about three quarters of the way through and it's been wonderful. I, you know, I play it for, you know, about 40 minutes each night over the past yeah. week and it's been great. And I just put it down and, you know, go to bed and I don't, you, I don't you think about it again. Yeah. This, yeah, one, this and, is how new games plus actually works, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did do a little bit of research on the developer, uh, a group named chair and apparently they also developed the, immensely popular ios game uh, infinity blade so oh, yeah i i would guess they kind of got caught up in the mobile money uh you know around 2010 2011 sell and, and well <laughs> i mean you can't blame them i mean no, i'm sure, I can't. Not sure at all. infinity blade made a bazillion dollars oh my god um but you know i hope uh, i hope they come back to this i mean it it was a, it's a really good game 
it has a lot of interesting ideas. Uh, so, you know, if you, I, I've been playing a lot of Metroidvanias recently. I played Hollow Knight. I played Dead Cells. Both of those games I played for about 30 hours or more. Right. And this, I feel like, is actually a more original take on that original Metroidvania idea. Because Hollow Knight and Dead Cells are very much kind of hearkening back to, uh, you know, Super Metroid or to um, uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night but this game, Shadow Complex, it has its own ideas. It has its own concepts. And I haven't seen these kind of ideas and concepts included in, yeah. you know, contemporary Metroidvanias. And I think there's plenty of uh, material there to return to and maybe iterate on. Yeah, it's crazy. It's scary to think it was that long ago. But like the whole XBLA environment culture you name it is going to be a thing we'll be talking about for too long like that oh. was there were a lot of really just a lot of interesting games and yeah. it kind of you know it was an important thing because you could do it in consoles as well and you had the audience and you could yeah. get out there you know yeah yeah it was an amazing time i would say you know if you're thinking about uh, for myself if i'm thinking about my favorite console experiences i think super nintendo has to be up there but then xbox the 360 is definitely on that list primarily because of its kind of easy inclusion of online environments, you know, co-op in particular, but then also uh, servers, et cetera. Uh, but then also XBLA, these amazing Xbox Live games, you know, Shadow Complex, but then also things like Braid, uh, Super Meat Boy, Castle Crashers. Uh, gosh, there's dozens of others that, you know, cheap games that, you know, could be replayed over and over again. And in cases like Shadow Complex, I mean, this this is a game that I would willingly pay, you know, $16 for. And it was available for $15 back when it came out in 2009. Yeah. And the uh, you're right about 360. I remember years ago um, playing Rockstar Table Tennis, which mm -hmm. listeners our age will remember possibly fondly, which was a weirdly good game literally just a table tennis game. Mm -hmm. um, and I played it online against some random dude and my dad and I are sitting there in the house in Dallas and he's like, so who's this guy? I'm like, I don't know, some guy on the internet. And we were both just <laughs> kind of like, whoa, because it was just so easy. There wasn't any like, and this is going to sound silly to younger listeners, there wasn't any IP address crap. There wasn't a lobby I had to figure out. Mm -hmm. I just literally said, I want to play against a person and the machine and yeah. the internet said, here is a person. You didn't um, have to wait for your modems to sync oh up, my all God, of that stuff. yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know people remember the whole Quake lobbies fondly. I do not. No, I don't either. <laughs> I was constantly accidentally getting kicked out of those type of things. Or, you know, my modem would mess up. Or, you know, my mom would pick up the phone. You know, oh, yeah. Just, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and the, the Xbox 360 comes along and it just figures everything out. Right. God, it just makes it so, so simple and so easy. And, you know, it took forever for PlayStation to get up to that point and nintendo is still struggling oh my god yeah we'll we'll we'll, we'll complain about nintendo another day well yeah <laughs> was, was so i i've actually been playing um well a roguelike and a roguelike like almost i've been playing a bit of hades speaking of the epic store actually i guess we're oh, epic store people cool. this week playing yeah. hades i've talked that before hades is really good is it okay if you're listening and i i, I love bastion so this is, you know this is the new game from super giant games they made yes uh, Bastion, they right. made uh, Transistor, and yes. then also uh, Pyre. Right, and I loved Bastion. Transistor, 
I, I liked Transistor, but w- I stopped playing it after a couple hours and never regretted that. Um, and mm-hmm. then Pyre, I need to get into Pyre. I'm convinced I should be loving Pyre. I don't know why I haven't played it enough. But uh, Hades is just great. It's just the loot, the gameplay loop is fantastic. It's just a really good, um, it's just a really good roguelike. And it's really kind of, uh, it'll be a nice thing for us to do. We could all, I guess we could do it now. It's been out so long. Uh, where you know you begin every sing- you begin the very f- every playthrough you begin um, with a gift from one of the gods up in Olympus, mm. and the idea is that you're Hades' son. And you're trying to escape Hades, or yeah, you're sorry, you're who is the Lord of Hades? I just played this game, and I should know this, being an educated person. Anyway, so uh, you're trying to escape Hades, and your dad doesn't want you to, and everyone in Olympus apparently does want you to, and so basically every room you clear you typically get um, a gift of some kind or a key or a way to level up. There's all these different kinds of things. And, you know, they, they make your attack faster or your special deal more damage or um, Zeus lets you uh, fire sparks out of your out of your butt, I guess, when you run around. I'm not sure. Uh, there's, definitely, there's definitely thunderbolts involved. And it's just, and as you would expect, Supergiant Games, it's just pitched really nicely. It looks gorgeous. It sounds great. Um those guys are crazy. I don't know how they do it. They just decided they would do a roguelike, and it's really good. <laughs> that's that's great. I I really love Bastion. I I also bounced off of Transistor after about thirty minutes of playing. Yeah. Um, but then I played a lot of Pyre, which is I mean many other people have said this, but which is uh, spiritual basketball. I guess is the best way to put it. And <laughs> so if you like basketball, if you like lacrosse. It's really a good uh, kind of sports game. And there's also some interesting narrative elements to it. It's kind of a mashup of a sports game and a visual novel. Um, but I I didn't hear that much about Hades when it came out. Um, so I, I'm really happy to hear that you enjoyed so much. It definitely makes me want to go pick it up. Yeah, I, I, I heartily recommend it. I think it's really good. And as well as that, I do play games early access. I played Dead Cells, for example, early access. But I like... I'm okay with it when it's like close to finished. Hades has felt close to finished since the start, since I bought it five months ago, even though they've been adding a bunch of stuff to it. So it's a nice, it it feels like a pretty full game experience already. You're not making massive compromises to enjoy it, which I I think is really important for these early access games. Um, And they're coming to Steam, they announced, in a few months. So Mm. if for any reason people don't want to buy something Epic Store or whatever, it will be on Steam or... If you just want to put it on your list of stuff to get in the future, it'll be on Steam. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know why I've suddenly been epic storing it up, but uh, I also am playing The Outer Wilds, which I finally picked up. Oh, um, man. And it's, yeah, it's really good. And, and people keep saying it's very good, and those people are correct. It's very, very good. <laughs> and I, I haven't got so that far in it. things about that. Yeah. What, what I really love about it, and we'll talk about it some other day because I've barely played it, is that, um, so the idea is you're, you're supposed to be solving mysteries or whatever, but... The basic premise is you get in your little spaceship, you take off from the little planet, and it's like, it's a highly stylized, so you're on this solar system, so there is gravity, there is travel between the planets, but it's very highly stylized, and there's an autopilot, so you're not going to, it's not frustrating. You know, if they'd gone too far on the space, gravity, landing type mechanic type stuff, it would have been annoying, and they, they, mm-hmm. they've they've left it very easy to do but it still feels like you're traveling in space and so one of the planets you can land on I landed on it and realized after a while that I was basically it was just you know I had gone through the gaseous outer layer into what was effectively the liquid core Mm -hmm. and I was like oh this is great this is so well done you know there's a planet that is there's a planet of these two twin kind of um, 
uh, two twin celestial bodies, I guess, to use the old term, medieval term. And one is dropping sand onto the other until it fills up. Then it drops sand back onto the other one. Oh, and so wow. there's different places to explore. And and it's it's just, it's really good. I can talk about it more some other time when I've actually played more of it. But if you're listening and you're on the edge, I'm yet another voice singing the praises of that game. Really well done. Oh. I feel like every podcast, video game I podcast <laughs> that I've listened to in the past six months has praised that game to the heavens. So this might be a good excuse. And since we're Epic Boys now, apparently, um, might, as well, might as well jump on the bandwagon. Uh, <laughs> Not sponsored, but we would accept it. No, it's joking. Well, <laughs> they yeah. Have enough, they have enough money. They could do that. Easy. Yeah. Come on, guys. You're throwing it. You're throwing it at everybody. Give it. Give us some of it. So yeah. no, but... Well, uh, speaking of sponsorship, no, all joking. Thanks a million for listening, everybody. Um, I must thank our patrons as well, uh, to whom we are always very, very grateful. Uh, if that's something you'd like to consider doing, you know, contributing to the work that we're trying to do, please consider visiting patreon.com slash history respond. You can also find regular posts of every podcast and video on the website, historyrespond.com. And of course, there's always a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash history respond, or just search for us on YouTube. Um, Bob, it has been a pleasure. Thanks for letting me host. This was fun. Hey, you did an excellent job, John. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you, Bob. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. 